uh, analyst that was involved was uh, Jalali Hartman, and uh, Jalali is, uh, of course, been with us for a long time. He also runs eGrowth Labs and has been deeply engaged in research for um, for many years. And uh, with Jalali online, I'm going to be sharing with him at times the, the chair as he speaks back and forth and helps me. He is intimate with the partners associated here and has been involved in this research in depth. So, Jalali, welcome to the call. Thanks, Hunt. And uh, in the meantime, uh, there are other team members we have. In the old days, we introduced all of them to you, but it takes too long now, and uh, there are so many. Uh, we're just going to continue and allow them to jump in as they need to if they have points to add. So let's get started right away. And um, the topic has been announced and is a vital topic, and essentially it addresses conversion issues that result from uh, the technology barrier that many of us experience. Do little anomalies such as bugs or database exceptions, lost emails, server timeouts, or changed email addresses significantly reduce revenue? We're going to look at some data sets. We're going to look at a 60-day experiment with a major subscription website. And we're going to discover some interesting points regarding the capacity for technology to either serve us or to hinder us. And uh, it may sound unusual at first, but we have discovered that our technology can actually get in the way when it comes to conversion. And I'm not just talking about technology problems. I'm talking about the associated breakthroughs in technology that allow us to present more options and accomplish more than we could in the past. And so Jalali will be working with us as we look at the data sets. We often forget that the number one objective of a website in most cases, is to somehow move a customer to the place where they're prepared to buy. Now, if it's a lead generation site, that may be only acquiring enough information in order to complete a transaction offline. If it is a retailer, it may simply be moving them off the home page into the level where they can actually see the buy button and click. But I can tell you right now that in most sites that I review, there is serious confusion when you when you approach the page, and there's what we call conflated objectives. And those objectives uh, get in the way of each other. And often this happens because of turf wars and over the site real estate, or it happens because a site was originally developed to accomplish one objective, and then later as it grew, competing objectives were introduced until the iPath itself is convoluted and until we start to see a performance decay, but we can't really put our finger as to what the issue is. In this case, if we're crystal clear regarding our objective, then we need to realize something. Sometimes the architecture we need to manage our business is really not the same architecture we need to market our business. Now, that's an important quote. I didn't write it, but I like it. I think Jalali wrote it. Sometimes the architecture we need to manage our business is not the same architecture we need to market our business. And essentially running a scalable, secure, integrated web infrastructure is very challenging. And a good CTO does not want to have to change order processes every week. But because marketing is testing, marketing departments are often appealing to technology departments for greater flexibility and agility. 
And the solution really is to create some type of testing ecosystem where we can perfect our websites and microtest. I have often said that the technology spend should be considered a marketing spend. I've said that the customer service spend should be considered a marketing spend. Now, for those of you with financial training or MBAs, I'm really talking about the difference between cost accounting or general, uh, you know, gap accounting and actual management accounting. For the purposes of smart management, and, you know, with management accounting, there's much more flexibility as to how you look at things. On one level, you may separate these and you may set them apart in terms of their various cost centers as individual business units or contributors to your uh, net differential. But I can tell you right now, when I'm thinking about how to grow an organization, there's a large chunk of the technology spend that I consider marketing spend. The problem is, when you set these departments up individually, you often have competition between marketing and technology, and this can create problems, as we've seen. We're going to look at a, at a case study. I'm just going to ask Jalali to describe that as he describes the actual test that we designed and what we went to work with. Um, as we're moving towards that, I just will point out something that we have here, and that is that much of our common online marketing verbiage comes from technology roots. And I think it's interesting. Herman Glenn, who worked with Netscape to implement the first NewYorkTimes.com site, and Jalali, I'll let you mention a bit about that, but we, we've discovered that often that the submit button itself originated from a programming statement in uh, SQL or SQL. So why is it used so widely today? Is submit really a strong marketing word? I think most of you know it isn't if you've done testing. And in fact, it can mitigate its conversion. Now, I've looked at that in the past, and I want to just point it out now in the context of this particular study, and I'm going to invite Jalali now to describe the case we're going to be looking at in a few moments. Okay, thanks, Lynn. Um Well, there's probably a couple of things that everybody has in common on the phone right now. Um, we've all, a lot of us have sort of been through this technology boom from the beginning or very early on, and so you've seen how quickly um, things have evolved and changed and how we all scramble to get our websites up and get them better and better and, and so on. Um, we also probably have a common uh, situation if you're in marketing, you're probably waiting right now for technology to do something for you or to change something or to get you some reports or something like that. If you're in technology, you're probably trying to hit a deadline and try to make what you may sort of feel like is a, um, you know, insignificant change to a website for somebody in the marketing group. And so we're all sort of in this tension together. Um, what the what we're going to go over today is um, a, two case studies, essentially two companies where we, we ran into a situation where um, we were losing significant revenues um, in the order of hundreds of thousands of dollars a quarter, um, not because of a technical bug, but because of the way a system was originally designed. And when we looked into it, we found that it wasn't that it, the system was poorly designed, um, just that it was designed really more like a lot of our infrastructures was really designed for management of our business, so the tying into back-end customer databases and um, certain, you know, just certain flows and, you know, architectures that come with these enterprise-level platforms. 
um, and they weren't designed for flexibility and agility and, and for us to be able to market easily. And what's happened and what we're going to sort of see is that um, we've somewhere along the way we've lost sight of the point of our website is to make it easy to buy. And I'm sure you've all been in meetings, and we, we run into this quite a bit when we're working with, on research projects where um, you, you identify a major obstacles, a point where you're losing just tons of customers, say, in an order process, and they can't, um, you know, you can't change it because of the way the site is set up or the way the platform is set up. And, and what usually happens is you just sort of move on. You just say, well, we can't do that. Um, there's no way to, say, move the login page to the end of the process. It would just be too too much of a – and we don't really know if it's going to work, um, et cetera, et cetera. So what we do is we, we run into this quite a bit, especially, you know, the larger the company, the, the more complex things seem to get. And so what we did was we did a 60-day test where we actually created a mirror of a site, um, whole order process. It was They were basically just basic forms um, where we were actually – capturing the order information, we're routing a portion of the traffic to it, capturing the order information, and then um, manually processing them. So a customer service rep would take that order and then go to the, to the live site and actually key it in. And what we found in that process by going through what each customer would have experienced had they gone to the live site, um, we found a number of areas where the people were having issues that were never getting reported. These people were never calling in or Essentially, you just don't know. They just sort of get lost in the 98% of the people that leave your website. And so um, that's sort of an overview of what we did in this first case study. Um, do you want to go ahead to the next? Go ahead. Um, so essentially, just if you just take a minute to look at this, in 60 days, this is a major uh, publisher of information. So their product is a subscription product. They're selling um, information, and essentially they had a pretty straightforward and actually a pretty good registration funnel. They had a good, very clear offer page with a nice three-step registration process. Um, the problem is this. They also had a free membership on their site. So the free membership on their site um, essentially gave, them, gave you access to another level of content. It was based on an email address and a password, and um, what what they ended up doing was a number of a big per percentage of those free members ended up getting uh, marketing promotions for a couple of other paid products, and so what what happened was uh, the majority of people trying to sign up for this paid product were actually free members. Well, if you look at the numbers here for the 60-day period, we had a thousand and one total trials. So those credit card upfront trials for a product um, re represented about four hundred fifty thousand dollars in revenue, um, and out of those, 225 came through our dummy form, thought they, you know, submitted valid payment information, thought they had successfully completed an order, but when we went to actually try to run them through the system, there was some issue with their credit card, there was some issue with their username or password already being on file for another account, and essentially we were unable to get them signed up or resolve it. Um, and what it represented was about 22% loss in revenue. Um, because of these constraints, these business rules that the company had set up, um, thinking it would make for e more, you know, easier management of customers and you know, single sign-ons and that kind of thing was actually preventing people from signing up. So um, 101,000 approximately lost revenue. And I, and I just want to interject a couple of things about this. Jalali's going to drill down. We're going to talk a little bit more deeply because I think most of us on the line understand – 
that technology can get in the way. I think most of us on the line probably experience some frustration with our technology and its limitations. We're going to actually show you some things you may not have thought of before as to what could be causing problems in your own site, and we're also going to talk about some remedies. Moreover, I, I just want to point out that Jalali is particularly qualified to talk about this, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell you some things about him that he won't tell you about himself. Uh, I just think it will help you to understand where he's going and what experience he's working out of when he begins to make these suggestions. For one, in his 20s, he founded, co-founded a dot-com company, which has received more than $13 million in VC and is, uh, I think, profitable and, uh, and is, you know, the major player in its niche now. It's a solid group. He's been with us and our research group. Uh, he worked full-time despite his ownership in the original group uh, throughout 2006 and has now launched eGrowth Labs, which is working in cooperation with us uh, on a number of research projects. He's overseen the work with the New York Times. He's overseen the work with with uh, thestreet.com and other major groups and has been deeply engaged in solving these issues. I've seen him take conversion in some of these groups up by several hundred percentile. And so as we were planning this research project and when I saw the data that he was assimilating, I was I was really quite impressed because I found out that what he was doing was getting underneath the system itself. So many times these calls, the kinds of calls we're having right now are about the obvious. I mean, they seem obvious to many of you who have learned birth practices, and that is, you know, improve this button, change this headline, you know, uh, work here to improve the flow, reduce the number of steps. We, we're all starting to learn that. I've watched the IQ, more or less, to go up across the net when it comes to this particular area of conversion. But I think we're moving into an area where you, you need a more sophisticated understanding in order to continue to scale up the kinds of conversion increases we're seeing. I can tell you that with the times we saw over a 1,000% increase in conversion over a period of 18 months and then testing, and you're not going to achieve that unless you do what Jolly did here. And and if you were trying to follow this test and imagine how it might have looked if it was on your own system, I was just listening to you, Jalali, and I thought I would clarify a couple of things that might not be clear to them. With this ecosystem he built, he simply created another platform. We call it Growth Engine, and the Growth Engine allows us to test uh, a mirrored process on our own, you know, rather tight, sophisticated system that gives us flawless numbers and is incredibly reliable. We watched the orders come in, but rather than processing them automatically, we were manually processing the orders. And it is when we went back to process them properly through the normal channel or system that they would have been done automatically had they been on the research partner's own platform that we discovered we couldn't even process these. This helped us experience firsthand the frustration that the customer would be going through, and that's where we began to learn of the kinds of problems we're discussing now. So, Jolly, I, having kind of given a bit of that and uh, – and I, I probably want to talk a little bit when we get to this conversion formula coming. I'm just going to let you go back and, and continue, and we'll just walk through this back and forth together. Okay, sure. Um, well, basically, this is what we're finding. We, we, I think Flint mentioned it before that marketing is testing, and it may seem it's sometimes like marketing experiments where particularly focused on testing, and that's just because that's what we do. But what we're finding is that what your, you know, what your competitor is doing is probably not really working, and there is really a lot of times people ask for benchmarks and best practices, and there are certain things that, you know, you know work better than others. But honestly, 
the only way to move through these issues and to grow your grow your revenues and increase your conversions is just to try different things and test different things and understand what's happening. And that's really the goal. That's what we that's what we were trying to do here is just really understand well if you know twenty two percent of the people aren't making it through the system, why is it? And what can we do? Because obviously we can do all kinds of changes in pricing and our advertising and in the you know put sixteen different headlines on the product, but it's hard to get a twenty two percent increase right off the bat. So um so we we started to dig a little deeper in terms of what what was causing, you know, three three to four people per day from having this this issue. Um and uh it was not it was not an easy this was not an easy test to run. We had someone working almost full time answering phones and keying in orders and logging error messages and that kind of thing. Um but if you go to the next slide Mike um, and I think Flint is going to talk about the conversion index. Um, but these, this, this would be an example of a friction element, uh, and everybody has them. There, um, if if you just take a look at your website, where you know, look at your numbers and look at where you're losing everybody. And it's very likely the the big place that you lose people, either in just a navigation or in a registration process, is where you're. Um, they're asked to enter a username and password, enter some credit card information, um, and so on. So, Flynn, you want to give a little background on this? This is one of our indexes. We have a whole number of, a whole group of uh, formulas that are patent pending as part of the research that we do. We have used this over and over again uh, to to grow companies like Britannica, Encyclopedia Britannica, and others. We've we've seen, uh, you know multi-hundred percentile uh, increases, and I'm not going to explain it in depth because I think it will take us off task today. Some of you have heard us talk about this. If you've been in our certification program where we teach you how to conduct tests, uh, we teach this in depth, and along with it, we teach you the testing formula that we have developed, and it's proprietary, and when you utilize it, it helps you get a very valid result, and it's uh, you know for single variable testing and also variable cluster, which is uh, an approximation of multivariable and much simpler. Bottom line is you can get uh, that information in certification, and we teach that program. Some of you probably already aware of the fact that we're we're just now uh, booking up in one of the classes that we have. We're also giving away an A-B split testing tool for those people who register in, uh, you know, for that particular program and, the, and that are participating in this clinic. It's rare that I do something like this in a clinic. It probably is the first time I've ever brought it up, but I can tell you that uh, I was given a note. I'm looking at the paper in front of me as I got ready to speak, reminding people that we're giving this A-B split testing tool away and that you can register today on our site at marketingexperiments.com for the certification program and online testing and a pay-per-click. Really, the formula was here for this reason. Most of us, when we apply a formula like this, are making a certain assumption. And that's as if we were trying to improve you know, the motivation of the user, the clarity of the value proposition, trying to reduce incentives and friction and reduce anxiety in a vacuum, as if we were operating on a perfect system. But there really is no perfect system. And so there comes a point when you've done all of this and you still can't get the best result. And we found essentially that there were three types of errors in this project. We're going to show you another one in a moment, but let me let Jolly come in and talk about this uh, research test and the errors we discovered. Okay, well, the first error, the first error is a is a common one, and most of us, most of you, 
there's occasional run into people that are very advanced in their analysis of their credit card charges, especially if you have large recurring revenue streams coming from credit card billings. Um, but credit card issues are probably the number one technical issue that we run into where people have a valid card but or think they do but for some reason it does it's not working they can't get a they can't get an order placed and usually what happens if you look at that um, the error messages associated with that are written by the developers a lot of times they don't make any sense they're not clear they don't give the person enough information to try to figure out what's actually wrong with their card so there's no they run into this issue with their credit card um, there's no clear solution, and usually what most people do is they have so many checks and balances because they don't they don't want to um, from a from a development perspe perspective from an engineering perspective you don't want to have all of these exceptions you sort of want people to get their get their information into the system right on the front end so you don't have to deal with all of this incorrect data in your database but what we're finding is that if you could if you can run a run a test and just let people go through, essentially turn off validation and let people go through and just look at your conversion and look how many people are actually putting bogus information. Um, a test that I did recently was uh, exactly that, took the validation off the card. And you would think you would just get tons of fraudulent orders, so there's no validation. As far as the person knows, they're signed up. They can enter any credit card number they wanted as long as, as it was a valid you know, number of digits. Um, and, you know, honestly, out of 100 orders, you might get two or three where people are putting in something bogus. But most people entered a credit card. It went through correctly for them. They got a confirmation. And then what we do is the two or three or four exceptions where there was an issue gets spit out and somebody actually physically calls them. So the person gets to sign up. They're not stopped in their tracks. And then somebody on the customer service side, um, in this particular case, the, the lifetime value of a customer was four or five hundred dollars so you could have literally you could have a customer service rep that is making their hourly wage answering phones and also gets a ten dollar incentive for everyone that they can recover or you know find a solution for and uh, you'd be amazed at how many of those you can recover and how it adds up you know the the hundred thousand dollars in lost revenue that we talked about in 60 days um, sounds like a lot of revenue but it's only 3.75 orders a day so if you can recover that additional three, four orders a day, then you're, you're doing pretty well. The second that I, I touched on before um, was that the, the, essentially the customer, there, there was an issue. The customer had previously registered for a newsletter, and so they had a username and password for the site, but they couldn't remember the username and password. And so when they went to sign up, they entered, they would enter the same email address that they've been using all along. They couldn't remember the password, was prompting them for a password. That can continue through the process of simply just ordering this product. So imagine you're just trying to sell somebody this. You have them in the process, and then you're, you send them into this loop where they're having to check their email and recover a password and come back. And what we find is that a large percentage of these people just never finish that. They just, if you, you know, you don't, you do not want them closing the browser down or opening their email box. You want them to just let them through the process and then handle the exceptions. So. Um, the, the final one that we saw in this case was there was a business rule that had been set where the potential customer had previously taken a free trial and they were not eligible. So essentially they had a block on their account, even if, you know, essentially they were trying to come back and pay again and sign up again. This was originally set up so that people couldn't just take free trials over and over. I think it was something that probably came out of a business requirement, people sitting around in a, in a meeting somewhere saying, well, we need to put this in place to prevent fraud. But when you really look at it, 
there weren't a lot of people going through trying to just sign up for free trials and cancel just as a way to keep the product. It just you know, it wasn't happening. You might get the occasional person doing it. So all of these things are established. Usually, you know, as architects and as developers and engineers, you're you're building the best system that you you can, but you don't you don't necessarily always take you know put the customers first because you're you're essentially most most development teams and most CTOs are responsible for um, a functional site and you know very secure and stable system, and so you're you're building things from that perspective, not necessarily. Um, you don't want any manual interface in most cases, and I think you know essentially if you if you get don't get anything from this conference, just do the math, sit down on a you know on a, on a piece of paper and just do the math on what is each customer worth, and how much could you pay someone to you know how much could you make just paying someone full time just to try to manage those exceptions and close those exceptions. So let me if and if I can, Jalali, well go ahead. Let me make sure you finish that. Yeah, I'm done with those three points. Go ahead, Flint. I want to just do a couple things for those. uh, You know, I'm watching questions that are coming in and and, uh, looking ahead at what we've got to cover. There's another case study coming up. I found this one really fascinating. Uh, It it engaged multiple tracking tools, and, and we actually compared the analytics and discovered where a lot of money was being lost. So stand by for that. It's coming in just a few moments. Jalali, I think I'm going to move kind of rapidly through the the part here that talks about what they can do sure. to prevent this, and then I'm going to get us into the next case study. I think that um, if you'll notice on the slide coming up here, there's several things that you can do. Uh, first of all, place an order yourself. I'm shocked at how many marketing companies don't do this and don't do it frequently enough, how many marketing departments are not truly monitoring their system. I'd like to dwell on this point. I am amazed at how out of touch some people are with their own system. But I won't dwell on it except to say place an order yourself, do it frequently. Call your customer service line and pretend you're having an issue. We all know to do that, but it's important. Use the forget password feature. I've done that with many companies, and the, the, the disaster that ensued and the confusion was shocking. And I've done it online while I was talking to major leaders in the organization, and and they have been embarrassed because they didn't realize how horrific their own system was. The 800 number on each page, recording the types of issues, those are critical. That can help you. Uh, investigating where you lose the most customers during the registration process, study the funnel. In our growth engine, we can see it page at a time, exactly where they're dropping off, and that's where we focus our attention. Look at the credit card failures and the error messages. And I like number seven, take away all the checks for a little bit and verify. Jalali mentioned this earlier. It's a remarkable way to discover what's really going on in your system. Now, because I think those are not necessarily profound points, but they're useful, we've listed them, I think the next study, however, is quite interesting, and it talks about how inaccurate reporting nearly cost us thousands of dollars in lost advertising. And essentially, what we discovered was that registration errors were not the only source of confusion. And and sometimes web metrics are creating a significant problem for us, and I'm going to let Jalali discuss that. I, I, there's other problems that are, that are not even in this report, Jolly. I may mention at the end regarding web metrics and how they can invalidate, you know, uh, how they can invalidate the instrumentation that you're using to to complete the process. But why don't you tell them about this study? Because I know you saw this one, oversaw this one as well. Okay. 
Well, essentially, one of the biggest problems um, that most marketers have now, it used to be that they didn't have metrics, so they didn't have they had such, such limited visibility into what was actually happening on the site. And now what I'm seeing a lot of is that people have almost too many metrics, and they're not accurate. And so what happens is you, get, you end up getting steered in the wrong direction. So this, was a, this case study was an example where we're trying to understand what conversion was. We're getting extremely high conversion numbers, and honestly, the only reason we even looked into it um, was because we didn't want to be reporting in, in, you know, inaccurate conversion numbers and then only to be disappointed later. So we didn't want the executive team to think, okay, this is a huge success if it, if it really wasn't. So we started, we started looking at the numbers and trying to understand, okay, are these right? And so what we did is we, we did a three-way validation. We did three different types of tracking on the same site and sort of compared things. Um, so if you go to the next slide, Mike, we'll get into that. Um, and this is what we found. So this was a, again, this was a, a, a subscription for a newspaper. Um, there's three, we, we secretly placed, it wasn't secret, um, you know, but we, we placed three hidden tracking pixels in the registration flow and measured the results from a paid search campaign through Google. And so um, Google Analytics showed us 948 unique visitors um, that for, for a 15-day time period. That gave us 17.3% conversion. Our in-house tracking, essentially what we've been using all along, showed 8,500 unique visitors, 1.9% conversion. That seemed more realistic to us. That was sort of along the lines of what we had seen with other offers. And we just sort of initially just sort of assumed that Google Analytics must be wrong and that our in-house tracking was right. Um, then we looked at the server logs um, and found 1,016 unique visitors and 16.1% conversion. That's when we started to realize, well, wait, wait a minute. We have, now we have two that are sort of fairly close, and our own in-house stuff, the, the reporting that we've been using, it seemed to be way off. And so... Um, we looked at the, the next, to sort of compare, we looked at the, what Google was saying. They had actually sent us in clicks, 3,122 clicks. So that didn't really fit anywhere. Um, that would have given us a 4.7% conversion rate. So we're, you know, literally um, we had about eight hours before we had to present the results of this, and we were looking at conversion rates between 1.9 and 17.3%. And so we're sort of stuck not wanting to, release the wrong information. Um, the, uh, if you go to the next slide, Mike, one of the things that there's a lot of confusion about, um, and it's, a, it's actually a simple fix that you can do right now, is just get consistent within your own company and with all your partners and all your campaigns and how you're treating, if you're counting sessions, if you're counting unique visits, if you're counting unique, counting unique visitors or page views, um, those, these are all going to be completely different numbers, and um, it doesn't necessarily matter which one you which one you use. We we use unique visits or unique visitors. I'm sorry, because I want to know how many people actually saw an offer and how many people bought. Um, but the most important thing is to be consistent. So many times we end up comparing two data sets. One will be unique visits, and one will be unique visitors. And there's a huge difference uh, depending on which reporting system you're using on um, the actual numbers. So. When we first looked at it, um, you know, 8,500 people, 164 people purchased would give us a, what we thought was a one, you know, a reasonable conversion rate. Um, Mike, if you go to the next slide. 
Um, what we decided to do again was to look a little bit deeper, and um, this this particular situation, there was a couple of different things that went wrong. The first thing that, that went wrong that started to skew the data was a, a small um, set of invalid clicks that was coming from Google. So I don't know if it was click fraud or some kind of bot or something like that, but essentially Google was reporting more clicks and we were being charged more clicks. This is a common occurrence. Um, usually they do a good job of reversing some of that stuff back out at a later date, but it can kind of skew your numbers if you're just basing it on how many people Google says clicks. The other thing that happens with Google is our different tracking systems that we use, um, someone will click on a link, and because most of these tracking systems involve setting a cookie or a redirect or something like that, um, the, click, the click actually takes place on Google, but the person never makes it to our site. And so it, they show a click, we don't show any visit or session, and the numbers get off. So um, that was one issue. Google was high. They were saying they, were, they, they showed they sent more traffic to us than actually we actually received. Um, the other thing that was when we dug into the log files, what we found was that we had we had just actually enlisted a company called um, HackerSafe, which many of you guys probably use to do a security scan on our site. So we wanted to. We wanted to test for vulnerabilities. And Is it scan alert? A scan alert, yeah. Yes, actually. All right, keep going. Um, um, and, you know, this was part of their program, which I, I, I understood was going to happen, but I didn't realize what it would do to, to tracking, was that this program would come in and actually create a session and try to, you know, place an order, do, go through the forms, sort of test the forms and look for vulnerabilities, and it would do that. It did that for a period of uh, several days during the, this reporting period. So what, it, what happened was Google Analytics filtered that stuff out. Our in-house tracking did not, and now we were stuck with two different sets of data. So there was this um, Google AdWords was filtering out the Indian servers, so it was it was taking out some of, this, some of these clicks. Um, so what we had to do, which if you've ever had to do it, is not a fun task, um, but essentially download the, the server log files. Most servers have most, uh, um, pretty much all hosting programs and any certainly any enterprise-level software. Um, we were using Rackspace in this particular example. There's a feature there where you can actually analyze your log files. It's a pretty common thing. Um, we started looking at click by click what was happening and who these people were, and we started to see patterns, large groups of supposed users coming from scan alert, dot scan, you know, et cetera, et cetera, some bogus URL. We also saw a number of users coming from um, Indian or offshore servers, you know, large chunks of clicks seeming to come from the same server um, and so on. So what we did is we went through and started filtering all of those out, and the best we could, it's not, you know, we couldn't, we never, we never found an exact match, but we wanted to understand, and we took out all of this stuff that we believe was bogus or not actually a, a real human. Um, there was a, an example a number of years ago. I was working on an e-commerce project, and we were just getting uh, miserable um, shopping cart abandonment rates. And what we found was that Google and Yahoo were both their robots were both scanning our sites and adding every single product to the cart but not checking out. So they go through the entire site and add every product to the cart and just stop. And we said, well, we're getting, you know, thousands and thousands of people trying to buy, and they're not continuing. What is the issue here? And we poured over this trying to understand why why we're losing so many people. And, again, that was a 
it was just a it was show, we were seeing those numbers, but it wasn't actually a live person. So um, once we took all this out, if you go to the next slide, Mike, I'll show you how it all sort of evened out. Um, Google Analytics, 948 unique visitors. Um, the server logs taking every, everybody out that looked like it did not belong, 976. Um, we ended up with two different sets of data giving us very similar conversion rates and went into, you know, the presentation and the report that we were getting ready to uh, present. You know, a little bit weary from all of this and tired of staring at the screen, but with um, confidence about our numbers. So, Excellent. Excellent. Now, Jalali points out something, and Allison, you can take us to the next slide. Some of this ought to frighten you because you realize you're trying to make marketing decisions without knowing for certain whether or not the data you're basing those decisions on is valid. Had we depended on the original data, we would have based our PPC budget estimates on a 1.9% conversion versus a 17.3% conversion. That's 800% higher. And if we had studied the data, we would have assumed that we could not profitably spend more than 51 cents per click while the actual break-even point was at $4 a click. We, in our pay-per-click certification, we lay out a formula for how you accomplish this. And the reality is, no matter what we teach in the pay-per-click certification program, if you if you don't know, if you're not getting good analytics, if you don't understand how to properly test, you're liable to be making decisions based on faulty data. And there's some things you can do to solve the issue. I mean, for one, you can install Google Analytics, and uh, we're not getting anything to tell you that. Uh, it's just something that we've used uh, in this particular case, and you may want to do the same. You can look at your log files and compare them to your core site tracking. You know, are, are, are the numbers close? This is tedious work. I remember one time when we had to do it on a huge experiment. Uh, we were tracking pay-per-click conversion for all of the shopping engines, and we needed to go down to the log file to actually validate it, and it was a long, hard project. But it's worth it sometimes. Number three, you can make sure you understand the difference between unique visits, page views, sessions, and unique visitors, and, and make certain you're being consistent, particularly when two departments are talking. Now, there's questions coming in. Feel free to keep sending your questions because I'm going to, uh, you know, we're going to try to answer those in, a, in just a moment. But I think the big lesson here is that while the Internet is certainly progressing and while our technology is improving, we're at the point now where we're, we're just technology savvy enough to be dangerous in some cases. We can do a lot of things with our sites that we couldn't do two years ago, but some of those things are getting in the way. Or some of the architecture that we designed two or three years ago was designed without a clue as to what the marketing impact would be. Moreover, you... you you may be basing very important decisions right now based on faulty data. And a lot of times we need to just spend the extra time to go back and validate our assumptions. It's worth it. In many cases, it can make a significant difference. Now, there's questions coming in, and I need to, um, to see what I can do. A lot of those are being answered by our staff online, but if it's a question regarding this uh, actual session, this lecture, then we'll see if we can... We can help you. One of the, one of the common questions I keep hearing is, how how do, can you get can you get the presentation slides? The entire brief, which contains all the data, it's actually uh, a plain text email document, but it contains all of this and more, is is going to be released to all of our subscribers. You should be getting that soon. Uh, it's simply taken after this presentation and it's revised one more time, and then it'll be sent out. Make sure you're on our list. 
if you signed up for this, we assume you're on our uh, subscription list. You know, it's free. You can get the data that way. Uh, there, by the way, there's, there's millions of dollars worth of free data on that site. It's worthwhile to go through marketingexperiments.com and get those reports and spend some time with them. Let me see. Are we going to offer a Google Analytics training in the future? It's, you know, uh, we're being asked that question right now uh, uh, by Google. So uh, you get back with us and we'll let you know. Any concerns about Google learning too much about your business? I I don't know how to answer that. That's another question that's come in. It's true. They're learning a great deal about every business right now, it seems. Uh, I don't – I think that's an individual choice. <laughs> but it is uh, – they do begin to feel like Big Brother. Hopefully they'll stick with their motto and do no evil. How does Core Metrics compare to Google as far as filtering and valid clicks and capturing good data? you want to answer that, Jalali? Um, yeah, I don't see the questions. Could you repeat that? How does Core Metrics compare to Google as far as filtering invalid clicks and capturing good data? The Core Metrics. Uh, oh, um, I have absolutely no idea how how they filter. Um, I think the point of this is, regardless of which which system you're using, you're going to want to do a. Uh, what I what I'm, I'm sort of recommending is do a, an audit. If you don't have the time to do the audit, get somebody, you know, hire someone out of school that likes numbers and let them sort of run through and just do the the occasional, you know, uh, comparison and uh, just see how it comes out. So. Yeah, that's good. And and you know, if we don't answer your question now and you need to email us and get an answer, we'll do our best. There's a lot of questions coming in now. Uh, which program did Jalali use to download server log files? We did this with Rackspace, and um, they have a simple utility that allows you to do that, and that's all that we did. I think, Jalali, you just imported them into an Excel spreadsheet, correct? Yeah, actually, they, most servers have, uh, in that case, it's a common one, it's a program called Plesk. And yeah. uh, within Plesk, there's a... Uh, there's Spell a, that, Jalali. Spell P-L- that. Uh, P-L-E-S-K. Okay. Okay. Um, let me see. What if we can't wait for your next testing? Is there a way to enter the class in the middle of it? Yeah, you, you can register for the certification programs today. They're closing one off. I think yesterday was the end of the early registration um, for for some of them. But if you just go to Marketing Experiments, I don't want to use these sessions to plug the course, but I, I try to answer your question. You you can certification at Marketing Experiments. And I think there's some classes you can still get into. They fill up, and they fill up capacity very fast. We just we launched two classes, I think, last week, and there was like 170 students in the first one, and something approaching that in the second. Uh, if you're playing, if you are paying for 3,500 clicks, but only 946 you're getting to your website, shouldn't you already be based on the 3,500 clicks? Well, you know what we're really calculating is the conversion rate in this experiment. We would assume that you're going to get a refund on those clicks from Google. Uh, you know, we were capturing and making these adjustments immediately. Google will capture some of these through a variety of methods. We've written on this earlier. If you're going to consistently lose that kind of traffic, uh, then that's going to impact your ROI. But what we're looking for is a projected ROI based on a genuine conversion number, and that's why you know we got to we have to get down deeper and understand that. Um, Someone says, would it be safe to generalize? Let's click on that so I can read the full question, Allison. 
Would it be safe to generalize and say that Google Analytics is better um, uh, than most if one does not have time to audit one's measuring? I, I'm not sure of that yet. Ask me after we've done more analysis and we could answer that question for you. Listen, I want to thank everyone. Uh, if we haven't answered your question yet, feel free to email us. We're doing our best. Let us know if you think this subject's been useful. Please uh, take a few moments just to use this same chat feature or the question answer feature and give us feedback. We read every one of these log files, and we care a lot about what you say now. It helps us plan the next session. Also, if there's a topic, someone talked in here about password flow. That may be a topic. We, we can't discuss it now, but that may be a topic for a future session. And if that's the case, uh, tell us what you'd like us to be studying. We're planning all of the time. Also, just tell us if this has been helpful today for you, and we'll pay careful attention. We're very grateful again. Thank you for your trust. We'll be back in about two weeks with another brief for you. In the meantime, you should get this brief in your email. Thank you, Jalali. You did a superb job in the whole research project.